The Way Out Podcast, episode 105. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on this week's installment of The Way Out, sharing stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. The Way Out does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. Our purpose is to share with you, one episode at a time, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. The Way Out Podcast is sponsored by Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous, online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check out the official website of the Way Out Podcast at www.wayoutcast.com. There you will find links to our latest episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and Radio FM. You can also follow the Way Out Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Help us get the message out that lifelong recovery from alcoholism and addiction is possible by giving us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Have a question or comment about an upcoming or previous show? Call us right now. Area code 218-382-1960. We're going to start featuring your comments and questions on the podcast. Call us anytime, day or night and leave us a message on whatever is on your mind. Maybe it's a previous episode topic or something that you're struggling with in your own recovery. Call us at 218-382-1960 and leave the Way Out podcast hosts a message and we could feature it on our next episode. That's 218-382-1960. Help us recover out loud. Don't forget... The way we get the message out to those who still suffer is to give this podcast a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform. Last but certainly not least, make sure to check out altrecoveryrigs.com for stunning rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie. And this week, Jason, Alex, and I discuss a phenomenon in recovery often referred to as the gift of desperation. We give you a good working definition of what it is. And we answer crazy important questions like, what in the actual F is this gift of desperation? Why is it even called a gift? Is it a prerequisite to recovery? And why do some people receive this so-called gift and some people don't? Plus, we take calls from the Way Out podcast listeners. Listen up, Alex. Jason, the band is back together again. Oh, yeah. Good to yeah. be back. Welcome back, Alex. <laughs> Today's topic is the gift of desperation. <clears throat> and I think it'll be instructive to have a way out podcast working definition oh yeah of what the gift of desperation is and i think a good working definition is the gift of desperation means that a person 
is willing to do whatever it is that's necessary for them to change their life, to make a change for the better. Right? Yeah. When the pain of staying the same gets greater than the pain of change, somebody will change. Yeah. Mm. When you've got nothing left to lose and everything to gain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about what the gift of desperation means to each one of us. And I think that'll help folks that maybe aren't familiar with this term in recovery what that really is and how that how the gift of desperation manifested let's start with jason jason how did the gift of desperation manifest itself for you and when did you understand it as being as such oh um well like when it happened i was um you know it was after my arrest after I came clean about what I was doing, selling the drugs to my ex-wife, after, you know, I couldn't see my son, and I knew that I had this court case stuff coming up, I knew that I was going to be in some serious-ass trouble, I wasn't, and I and I couldn't seem to stop shooting up and drinking and stuff, so I was like, man, I need to fucking do something, but I... I just like tried a couple things, but I think it was, you know, I just couldn't like control my impulses. So anyway, long story short, I ended up getting to the point where I just gave up all hope in myself and I was suicidal and I couldn't, wouldn't stop. And I was starting to accept or battling with myself to accept that. I was probably going to prison for 10 years and I wasn't going to see why it ever again either. And that I was a piece of shit that didn't deserve to be a dad and all this and that. So I finally come to a conclusion. Fuck that. I couldn't accept it. So I wanted to die. I was like, I'll end it before I accept that shit. And, uh, then when I was trying to kill myself, I was trying to ask God for help to do it, but he, I think helped me in a different way. Granted, mind you, I didn't really really realize that at the time that like God stepped in. You know, I didn't know what made me put down the knife, and I sure didn't know that I was actually gonna get it this time. I had been in and out of the rooms for a while, so I think it was you know when I finally started to feel the benefits of like getting vulnerable when I finally opened up after that. Um, when I finally really did call my sponsor every day and I finally really did work towards solutions, you know, and like start looking at everybody in the rooms as somebody that I could learn something from instead of like people that were full of shit and that I couldn't trust, you know? So I don't know. It was, it was definitely just a breaking point for me where I couldn't like I couldn't go on living the way I was and I and then I couldn't kill myself either like it was it was just a shitty place to be you were in that spot that many of us end up being in that I can intimately identify with which is I can't continue to drink and use but I can't be sober. 
I don't know how to be sober. I've tried being sober. It doesn't work. And that creates this desperation, right? So, do you, in your view, is that God doing for you, the God of your understanding, or the God that you didn't even understand yet, doing for you what you could not do for yourself? Um, I guess, because I mean, really, you know, looking back at my life, there's there's been other moments where things got too heavy, man, and, and I, I went on self-destructive path, and I was, like, actively, like, completely disregarding my existence, didn't care, you know, and um, that was the only difference, really, between this, this time and those times was that there was, um, there was this shred of hope. So I think even though I was kind of discounting the program and at that time and I was telling myself this shit ain't going to work for me and that I was different and all that, um, somehow I must have gotten some, some shred of hope out of it, you know, and that, I don't know. I don't know. Alex, <laughs> how, when you think of the gift of desperation, how does, how does that manifest for you in your, in, in your journey to recovery? Well, I think it, the, gift of desperation is what really set me on my way um the right way uh it was the difference between seeking out help to stop drinking and doing drugs instead of just deciding that i had <laughs> that i had the willpower to do it on my own which i didn't <laughs> um and i found that out a couple times but um you know for me when the drugs were done and gone, and I drained the bottles dry. You know, I had lost most of my friends, lost a girl I loved. I, you know, I mean, I, I was on a real losing streak, as uh, many of us might be aware of when we come into the rooms for the first time, or maybe the first time in a while. Um, but for me that gift of desperation was enough to allow me to more or less accept that my life wasn't going to get better if I didn't stop doing drugs or, and if I didn't stop drinking. Um, and that gift of desperation didn't really seem like a gift at first. It also didn't feel like a burden either. Like I, I realized that I had an opportunity like a serious opportunity to do some good for myself and in my life. And, you know, and I continued to do that for the first six or seven months of my recovery. And, uh, I went, I, I went through some things and, um, I find myself on Thanksgiving and, um, my world has been shaken like a snow globe. And, you know, of course, you know, my family, uh, had been drinking and, um, you know, at, two o'clock I find myself unable to sleep and I was at my parents house and I'm really glad my mom wasn't awake because I started to do something that she might have a stroke if she ever saw me do and that was I did the dishes at two in the morning you know <laughs> right I mean I la I mean seriously she would have thought something was really wrong um and so uh, I'm clearing the table and all of this and um there's this bottle on the counter and I mean I can feel that that power just pulling pulling my arm toward that bottle and I, I know and I said fuck no 
Yeah, Louis gets yeah. it. Yeah, I saw, <laughs> I saw, <No. laughs> That was the punctuation point. Oh no. my god, that was that was the perfect timing. But no, that was awesome. seriously, I I said fuck no, I'm not gonna do this. And I picked that bottle up and I put it in the cabinet where I couldn't see it, out of sight, out of mind. And I and I went. I had another cigarette and I went to bed. And from that point forward, that was like. You know, we talk about spiritual awakenings being a turning point in our in our recovery. But for me, that was kind of when I really like realized and accepted, like, I can actually do this. Mm. You know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting for me. The gift of desperation for me. First of all, I didn't know I was having that 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 was happening or transpiring. I understand this stuff backwards. Right. Right. It's revealed well, later. Right. The other piece is the there was a series of events that were happening and that it led up to this gift of desperation. Right? I wasn't really willing to make any significant radical changes to my life prior to this. I was definitely still managing this thing and had this illusion of control. Mm. I still had my job and I still had a car in the garage and I still had a house and I had these things that a lot of false pride bingo that yeah. produced this illusion that I had it all together mm. and toward the end that illusion got systematically dismantled through some pretty catastrophic events for me at that time I got another DWI um, I got um, divorced for the second time and then a couple of years later for the third time. Right? <laughs> I was those things and the um, my inability to be able to really keep and maintain a relationship for any significant period and my inability to be able to not get behind the goddamn wheel. Right. No matter your intentions. No right? matter what. You're like, I'm not going to do that. And then you do, you know, you. that's what I'm saying. I think if I had to pinpoint what the gift of desperation was, it was when I completely lost hope in my own faculties, my own ideas, my own ability to control things. That was, you know, kind of the moment right before... It clicked, and I was like, uh-huh, maybe somebody can help me. <laughs> so then it was like, oh, my God, no matter what I've tried, I cannot. I can't keep a relationship to save my life. Right. No matter how hard I've tried, I can't not keep, I can't stop getting DWIs. I can't stop drinking, drink and driving, right? I can't mm. stop these things. And then at the very end, when it all mattered, and I needed to not get drunk, at my son's birthday party on Thanksgiving, mm. I got annihilated. Right. And so it was a combination of all of these things that brought me to this really desperate point. Well, like you're breaking promises to yourself, you know? Right. And it's like, what the fuck? Like, why did I do that? Like, I wasn't planning on doing that, and why did I do it anyway? See, I don't know. I, I think it's interesting that you bring up that perspective because... I mean, for me, you know, 
I mean, we all had a list of things that we said we'd never do because of drugs and, you know, that we ended up doing because of drugs and alcohol. And when I did that, I was like, oh, well, that's fucked up. I guess I, I guess I better drink on it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And like, no doubt there was those lines that we crossed and then we drew new lines and we drew new lines and we drew new lines. Right. Yeah. Somebody once told me that, you know, their gift of desperation came when they couldn't lower their standards quick enough. Oh, I like that. They, they to, had no more new lines they correct. could draw. <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't lower their standards quickly enough to match their conduct. Oh, wow. Think about that for a minute. Holy shit. So then you're living in a complete shame-based. Just shame-based. And that's, that nailed it for me. Like, yeah. I couldn't <laughs> lower my standards quick enough to match my fucking behavior. Wow. That's powerful. Holy shit. <laughs> like, that, like, hits me, like, right right in the chest. Well, like, the sad thing is, is, like, I've been there. Oh, dude. You know, I've I been mean, there, been there, done there. And I, I think the look of recognition have. that I think we all have, yeah. right? Yeah. We could all identify with that, right? In a very intimate way. It's a good way to articulate it for right. sure. Yeah. It also occurs to me, I don't know if you guys agree with this, but I I believe that, that there's an order of operations here, right? We were talking about surrender last week. Right. <clears throat> and the gift of desperation preceded my surrender, right? Oh, yeah. I got this gift of desperation where I was, you know, at this really, really, really desperate spot that I was actually willing to m make a change in my life. I would I would almost say it's the contemplation before becoming willing to make a change. Like, when you're, you're in such a state of hopelessness and wonderment and awe of what a freaking idiot you are, and you're like, what am I going to do? That's like... When you're really putting a lot of energy into thinking, what am I going to do? I think would be what I would consider that that gift of desperation point, because you're just racking your brain and you can't. You're just obsessing about it and you can't sleep and you can't eat and you're just like, what am I going to do? Because you're in this place, and so I had all these things that had sort of conspired to produce this gift of desperation this desperate place that I that I came to right before I surrendered. But there was also the truth of my disease that reared its head right at that same time, mm. which I kept running into the truth about my disease in that every time I drank and used, I came out with the answer that I can't drink and use because something would happen that would tell me that. Well, like I remember... I'd be a DWI or I'd... Right. I remember setting that knife down in my living room, my mother's living room, um, the day that I, last time I shot up, actually, that day, March 6th, 2016. <laughs> and I was like, man, I remember it dawning on me, like, I just kind of imagined that scene, um, me with a huge Rambo knife through my neck, naked in the living room, and her coming home to that. And uh, Fuck. and then I imagined her telling my ex-wife and her, my ex-wife, having to tell my son and or what she would tell him, you know, and I was and just what it would. And then I just kept imagining, you know, my brother, my sister and my dad and this and that. And it really shook me, man, to the core. I was like, what the hell am I thinking? You know, like. I was probably on my knees 45 minutes with that knife to my throat ready to do it. And it wasn't until I put it down 
you know, and really started thinking like that was when I, my moment, you know, and then I called my old sponsor who I didn't think would answer because he never did, but he did that day and he was like, write this shit down. You're going to do this and you're going to do that. And I did it. I just did it. That was it. Yeah. You know, I, I think that one of the really great things about me being in my, at, at my stage of desperation, you know, having nothing really that I felt I could lose and uh, everything to gain, like, you know, I didn't know what the hell to do. You know, I went to this meeting and I'm, you know, here I am pouring out my, you know, pouring my guts out to this group of unsuspecting people, right? And then, you know, and then I'm just like, so now what the fuck do I do? You know? And they showed me a way to, you know, like, that was a Friday night, Cinco de Mayo, and I stayed up till two in the morning without getting drunk, and I'm thinking, who the hell does this stuff? (laughs) We do. Yeah, we do. Well, not me. I mean, I turn into a pumpkin at about 1030, but I know other people in recovery that Yeah. I mean, I don't go to bed until 3 o'clock every night. Anyway. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't matter if I've been drinking coffee all day or not. I just, I can't. And, um, you know, but they showed, like, in a time where, for the first time in a long time, like, since I started drinking, I had no idea what to do with my life. And uh, it was it was a really freeing feeling. It was scary, but it was freeing, you know. It's that impetus that really, for me, provided the fuel to do whatever it took mm-hmm. in order to get better because mm-hmm. I didn't ever want to feel that way again. And it became so, it became undeniably clear that the situation that I found myself in, which was wholly un- intolerable. Mm-hmm was produced by a combination of my choices and my addiction and alcoholism and I no longer could deny that fact I no longer could deny that that's where that's that's the place I ended up in here's a question is a gift of desperation, a requirement. Is it a prerequisite to recovery? No. It says right in the big book that the only thing you need, the only three things you need to get this program is honesty, open-minded, and willingness. So if you go to meetings a little bit, you've seen it change people, you develop that hope, right, and you're willing to try it, and really try it, like being honest, like really working at it, working them steps to the best of your ability. You can recover. You can be free of the obsession. But, yeah, I think some of us are just knuckleheads. For real. And I'm one of them, guys. But, yeah, yeah I don't think you need it. See, I think it's interesting that you say that. Um, I like what you said there. I, I agree with it. And I'm going to throw a giant-ass button there. <laughs> um, you know, you talk about uh, the people I like big who, butter. yeah, exactly, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, no, but you you talk about the people who um, you all you have to be all, all you have all you need is the desire to be um, or the will to be open minded, willing, 
you know, there are people who, and honest, right? There are people who don't want to do that. And myself included, like I needed that desperation to finally be be able to be honest enough with myself and cut the shit and say, look, my life is a shit show right now. Yeah. Nobody wants to do that. Hey, they're too worried about what people think. B, they're so deluded with their own lies that they've told themselves, you know, justifications, minimizations, rationalizations, blah, blah, Yes. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. That to be honest enough, because we're not just talking about selective honesty. We're talking about rigorous. Unrelenting honesty. Honesty. Yeah. We're not just talking about, you know, a... And willingness for me is was probably the single biggest ingredient that I didn't have before. I didn't have any of them. I didn't have honesty. I didn't have open-mindedness. And I didn't have willingness. But willingness came first for me. And the gift of desperation gave me the willingness right. to be honest, right? Mm-hmm. And to be open-minded. It provided the fuel I've known people, and I still know people, that have embarked on amazing and beautiful recoveries that didn't have this sort, this gift of desperation moment, right. that didn't have this quote-unquote bottom gift of desperation, subsequent surrender, and then recovery. Right. Right. And so I agree that it's not required. For me, it was. Right. Like, and yeah, that's like to say that my experience doesn't dictate what other people's has to be. This is a huge world with very many people and everybody's different. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Well, Well, I mean, you know, and, you know, you talk about. That that looking different for other people. Like I sit here talking as a as a guy who's never had a DUI, never been mm-hmm. to jail. You know, but these are things on the list of and Charlie, you brought this up. Yes. List of not yet. Those are things I haven't done yet. If I really want to go to jail, if I really want a DUI, I know how to get them and I know where to find them. Absolutely. You know, <laughs> absolutely. And those but, are absolutely those not yet, and we all have them. Right. You know. Yeah. But I mean. And I'm I'm so thankful that my list of not yet's is longer than some people I know. Absolutely, you know, because it's empowered me to help not only myself but other people in in ways that you know if if uh, my past looked a little bit different than it did, I might be singing a different tune right now. But I mean, you know, for me to be able to. Um, to talk to people as someone who doesn't have, um, you know, maybe the list of assumed prerequisites uh, that you, you know, like, or at least that um, that I felt you kind of needed in order to kind of go to AA or NA or places like that. Um, you know, I, without kind of getting too full of myself here, I almost see that experience as kind of a beacon to anybody who was following that same path as me, you know, and just kind of as a way to let them know, like, you don't have to get those things. I would absolutely agree with that, that those things aren't, and Louis agrees too. Yeah, you heard it. That those things are not things that you need. 
And those things are not what make an addict an addict and an alcoholic an alcoholic. Nowhere in the big book or in the basic text that I'm aware of does it say that you need to have a certain amount of DWIs or DUIs. (laughs) You know, that you need to have, you know, right, that you need to be caught with possession so many times. Or go to detox. Right, right. There's none of those ancillary consequences are things that um, are... That's not what makes me an addict or an alcoholic. Those are... Those are consequences that were a result of my disease. Right. Right? But my disease manifested itself differently mm-hmm. than it did for other people. There's people, there's plenty of people that I know that have never, ever had a DWI or DUI and were chronic alcoholics. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, it even talks in the big book about that, like... After after the program had existed and it was starting to expand and get larger and larger, that they were starting to get kind of like a surgence of like different kind of demographics, different cultural coming in, different age groups and different people from different socioeconomic statuses from all ranges of, you know, what type of user or drinker they were and and that, you know, some of them were just you know starting out and they were able to recover so they were talking about how you didn't need that gift of desperation right right in the book i wish i knew what page that was why on. is it a gift what what makes it a gift because hmm. it's something that you can't ask for you don't really know you need it but you know it, it's something i know for me like it it, it honestly empowered me to power through the first like six months of my recovery you know i know like it was a gift to me it was a gift because i wouldn't be here if i didn't have it boom and i think that hits it square on the head yeah i got a little like a visualization if you will to um kind of describe my my take on that but like you know say there's a vase, you know, it gets broken. And then, you know, they talk about like God uses broken vessels, right? So the only way that the light, because we all have a light inside of us, right? And so this vase has a light inside of it. And when it gets broken, now the light can shine out and it can brighten up the world around it. And like the only way that god can use us is if we're broken you know like that so think about that like that gift of desperation was when it fell down and went boom when it broke when it cracked when when i snapped when i was like fuck i i'm too twisted to live and i'm too big of a pussy to kill myself what am i gonna do i need help you know was the surrender point but when I was sitting there and I was just totally like, I'm so it screwed. It all come crashing down at yep, that point. The everything crumbled. All illusion of control was smashed to smithereens. My ego was smashed to smithereens. My hopes and dreams and anything, anything, anything that I had was smashed. That, that allowed God's light to come into me and, and for me to be able to get humble and teachable and now it's like I can shine 
I can shine. I know? like that visualization, man. You Thank know, you. like for me, uh, and I shared this at the fir- the first time I ever spoke. For me, it was like I had been crying out on the on the edge of a cliff for help for so long. You know, with my arms raised up, and like it got to the point where, you know, uh, that cliff that cliff top had just been eroded away to the point where pretty soon everything out from underneath me gave way. And I was falling, and the only thing left to do was swan dive into this beautiful thing that I know is recovery. Yeah. You know? And that provided this sort of, like, safety net for you that you sort of dove in, and then, you know, this this recovery community embraced you. Kaya. Did yeah. you make that up? Yeah, did, I did. You just made that up. That's awesome. Well, I didn't just make it up, but, I mean, you know, I... I, I can't take credit for the vase thing. I heard that somewhere. Yeah. No, that's the thing that... You know, honestly, uh, I think since probably the third or fourth day I was sober, that's kind of the visualization came to me in a dream. And I honestly believe that was solely the work of my higher power, you know, like 100 percent. But I mean, it it literally came to me in a dream. And, um, you know, we talk about these spiritual awakenings. Right. And everybody makes them out to, you know, seem peaceful and calm and tranquil and they're the most chaotic thing mm. and frightening thing mm. you can experience and you don't know what to make of it mm. and and that's why i think everybody's spiritual experience is unique yeah and and not one is like the other now for me the it's a gift for me because it provided the essential fuel that i needed to be able to do the really important work right that I needed to do in order to start to get better it's a catalyst it's a launching pad yep yep. and that's why it was a gift it was a gift because I didn't create that that happened to me right okay so it's not something I did it's something that happened to me and I do believe it was the God of my understanding doing something for me that I could not do for myself. Well, right. Like when it went through your whole using, sorry, Alex, but went through your whole using you, no consequence was great enough to make me stop. You know, nothing was great enough. So how, what was different about that time? You know, and that's, that's where I think it, it makes sense to think, you know, it was divine intervention, man. Like yeah. God said, "All right, you're ready." Exactly. Why here? Why now? Why then? Because there was a hundred different times where I could have very that that I that I had felt that low that I had you know that the reality of my disease slapped me in the face, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of those times. Yeah. And why that time? Why, I don't know. It only, you know, all of those things coming to a head only, it only makes sense because that's the, the point where I began to recover, right? There was lots of times before that, okay, that I didn't get the gift of desperation, that I didn't then subsequently surrender. I just kept bouncing, you know, like bouncing at the bottom of an ocean floor, you know, boing, boing, you know? You know like, and drug along like an anchor. <laughs> or, or like I think about when people say, you know, they talk about that window of opportunity, right? And this is a big part of the advocacy recovery, advocacy movement where they're, 
you know, we're trying to get um, to a place in our society where people can walk in and get services. No more of this three week, four week waiting list bull crap because the window of opportunity for when a person realizes how fucked up they are goes away. And when it goes away, it could happen in an hour, it could happen in a day, whatever it might be. And then who knows when it comes back? And it may not. It may not. They it may, may be die. Too late. Right. They may right. die. Some of you us know? get multiple windows of opportunity. Yeah. And then they don't get capitalized on, and mm-hmm. we don't get another one. Right. Right. So you know, I mean, we're I think in that's this pro- great point. Yeah. We're in this program, man. And the longer we stay in this program, we're stepping over dead bodies, man. We're stepping over them all the time, you listening know, to people. Yeah. Who have it and then they disappear and then we're going to a fucking funeral man and Mm. it breaks my heart every time you know and to know that they had it or know that they learned like they had these tools and why did they choose to turn their back on this you know and it's you can never understand what's really going on in a person's head um that's why i think it's so important to ask the hard questions right because we're the best at like hiding what's really going on speaking right. of hard questions why is it then and that's one of the things that i, I struggle with pretty f- pretty fierce with the god of my own understanding why do some people get the gift of desperation and some people don't hmm. that's a really powerful question and again i mean it would be like super like subjective it's individualized you know it's that there's no way that we could like properly even answer that question you know buddy c i asked buddy c that and you know he came back to me and because one of the things i really struggled with you know is this idea that some of us get this gift of desperation and some of us don't you know and along the same lines of why do some people you know leave this earth too soon in my opinion right and there's me playing yeah yeah there's me playing god yeah because yeah. you're trying to dictate what's right what's wrong how i'm it's deciding to go. what's right and what's wrong i'm deciding what should be and what shouldn't be and he said Think about it like being a child, right? And looking up at mom and dad and not understanding why things are the way they are. Mm -hmm. Things just aren't fair. Why does, you know, why do the neighbors have, you know, everything that they could ever want and we don't? Why does the neighbor over there starve? We have food every day. You know, so these things that we don't understand as children, right, that we come to understand as adults, the same thing applies here. There's things that we don't understand, and I believe that I'm a child of the God of my understanding. There's things that I just won't understand. Right. And the most important thing for me to recognize in that situation, when I'm having a hard time with that, when when I start feeling pissed off that people are leaving this planet in my opinion too early mm-hmm. or that they're not getting this gift of desperation that I received that I didn't 
work for it just happened why why did it happen to me and not to somebody else i don't know i don't know any of that right well for me you know i you know i'm not going to pretend to be god here or anything like that because i know i'm not you know <laughs> I, good job I, yeah. <laughs> I think step three helped a lot with that one right but um you know like i know that for me had it not been for the people that you know, I had grown close to in my days of drinking and using who left this earth, you know, at the time far sooner than I maybe thought they should have. Um, I kind of looking back, I kind of realized that had it not for it been for these people dying, you know, and it, had it not been for the people who I have known who have died since I've been in recovery, I don't think I'd be here. I don't think I'd be making this choice with my life. And that's what recovery is. It's a choice that you make every single day that you wake up. Every day you get to, you know, you get to decide whether or not you're going to bust your ass and stay sober or clean for another day. You know, that doesn't mean you're going to make it necessarily because that's, you know, that's trying to take your own will. That's trying to take your will back from God. And I think we all know that doesn't typically end well. But I know that for me, um, I'm going to throw a stat out here, and it's it's pretty baffling, but the number of people that are being killed by the opioid addiction epidemic alone, opioids alone, not alcohol, anything else, is, to compare it, it's like 9-11 is happening every three weeks. That's how many people are dying from this opioid epidemic. Wow. I shit you not. And now it it's getting bigger. So that statistic is not even quite enough. That's how many people are dying because of that. And for me, I know that the people who have died in my life because of this disease, I've learned something from each and every death that has occurred. You know, is it pleasant? Is it does it make me happy? Absolutely not. It breaks my heart. But um one of the biggest lessons that I take away from each time is like, I mean, that could be me. Mm. You know, that's one of the that's one of the big things at the top of my not yet list. Is you know, I mean, I have I haven't gotten to the point where I have drank or used myself into a grave. When you know? we see those around us. die from this disease that to me is the true bottom everything else is a stop digging moment everything else before that is a stop digging moment as we know in the opioid crisis unfortunately the risk of Overdosing because of the lack of quality control. Right? Just accidental. It's accidental. Yeah. Right. Right. So these aren't <laughs> intentional overdoses. These are right. accidental overdoses because of the uh, inability to understand what what the potency is often of what's being put into the, into your body. Yeah. Yeah. It's messed up, man. But I, I kind of want to backpedal 
because you'd asked that question and I was having some more other thoughts on that. But, you know, you said what, why do some people get the gift of desperation and some people don't? And I was thinking, well, could it be, could it be pride, ego? Could it be, um, you know, that they're kind of ignorant, you know, or, or whatever the case may be. And then I was thinking, this light bulb clicked and I'm like, well, that's probably why they even, the term exists, the gift of desperation, because if everybody got it, you know, then it wouldn't be considered a gift. Right. And it, and so, you know, and you're talking about, you know, how unfair it feels and that helpless feeling and how angry you can get when somebody dies from an accidental overdose or, or like shit. I knew a girl one time that died, um, because her and her boyfriend were having a fight and they were on their way home from the bar and he just yanked the fucking wheel in the car on Highway 10 in Minnesota and they hit, they hit, got hit by another car and it hit on her side, you know, the car spun around and she died and that fucking dude didn't die, you know, the guy that pulled the wheel. And it's like it seems so unfair and like, why God, why? But I mean, really, it's, this is just the world we live in, man. You know, like you can't, you can't really explain that kind of stuff. It's just the way it is. But to know that, that, you know, like in my early recovery, when that stuff would happen and I'd be like, I would trade places with them in a heartbeat. Well, that says something about where my emotional state was at that time. You know, I wasn't, um, to a place of self love yet or, you know, whatever. Mm. And now, you know, when that kind of stuff happens, I just do what I can to be there for those affected, you know, and I try to be good to myself, self-care, and I and I find my gratitude. I find a lot of gratitude in the fact that that wasn't me because it sure as hell could have been a lot of times. You know, it's almost for, not almost, in the beginning... When I realized that I had received this gift of desperation, subsequent surrender, and then recovery, I had survivor's guilt. Oh, yeah. Do uh, you identify with that? That's what I'm talking yeah, about. You know, the survivor's I would guilt. trade with them in a heartbeat. Right. Like, right. oh, they were such a better person. Why, than me. why them and not you, right? Why me, not them, right? And <clears throat> you know what the antidote to the survivor's guilt for me or was? I was way worse than them. You know, whatever. Service. Yeah, yep service was the antidote to my survivor's guilt dude that's the antidote to so much right messed up feelings man right every right. time if i'm feeling like i'm at an impasse and i can't seem to pull myself out of a funk that's what always ends up doing it gentlemen i think we found our topic for next week uh, oh hell yeah Let's talk about some service. 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 I like it. Let us talk about the acronym that gift of desperation is. So the first uh, letter of each, uh, of each word in that phrase God. spells what? God. Dog? God. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. God. Damn. You know what? I never noticed that. Yeah. I had this like yeah. almost 18 months and I never noticed that. Snap. That's what I'm talking about right there. I learned my, my little bit for recovery today. That is that absolutely awesome. correct. Yeah, so, and I don't think that's, um, for me, I, that hit me very, very early in recovery, right? And, and 
made all the sense in the world, right? That this acronym, you know, spelled out God because it was absolutely one of the first God moment, really, for me mm-hmm. in recovery. Boys, we're going to take some phone calls and we are going to start with Jim C. Yeah. Love you, Jim. Name is Jim C. from Anoka. Hey, Jim C. Uh, the topic is the gift of desperation. Uh, it's an interesting topic. People don't uh, generally think of desperation as a gift, but for in my story, it was definitely a gift. My wife passed away from leukemia in 01, eight days before 9-11 happened. And from that day forward, I was in a state of uh, numbness no feelings whatsoever and I tried every kind of drug and eventually started shooting meth to know my pain so I spent the next eight to ten years uh, getting felony charges and staying high and not allowing myself to feel anything until uh, my second charge and uh, my last violation and I'm about to get sent to prison for a year and a day I had a feeling for the first time in 10 years, and that was desperation. And uh, I consider that a gift because that's when I came to the end of myself, just when I could accept help and when I could break down and cry in my probation officer's office to ask for help. And that was when my treatment and recovery started. So I indeed believe that desperation is a gift when you come to that point. Thank you. Oh, Jim, thank you for calling, brother. And I can intimately identify with that experience of, uh, you know, for me being in that treatment counselor's office and breaking down and crying like a baby and um, having that gift of desperation befall me. But it doesn't necessarily feel like a gift when that moment is happening yeah oh absolutely not it's a horrible place to be but you know like we say it's a launching pad it's a catalyst for change um jim is actually the uh person who started the recovery ministry that i'm one of the leaders at grace recovery which is in brooklyn park minnesota and it's once a week and it's such a good group and God is doing awesome things in there with people and helping people get better. Jim is one of my like mentors. He's been there for every one of my deep, profound spiritual experiences. I love that guy. That's amazing. Jim, thank you so much for calling in and sharing your own gift of desperation with us because it's really instructive. I mean, how, how profound to, you know, not have any discernible emotional feelings for 10 years really because of fear or you could argue that it was because the drugs were doing their job and then eventually you keep using heavily long enough the drugs or alcohol or whatever stop doing their job properly and that's when we lose it right that's when things Mm. really go haywire because now we have an insatiable hunger for something that we're never we can't obtain anymore and we're never satisfied right right 100 percent. we are going to listen to next we are going to listen to michelle 
<laughs> My name is Michelle, and I am from Otsego, Minnesota, USA. The topic is the gift of desperation. Many people look at desperation as a weakness. How is it then considered a gift? My personal opinion is the state of desperation forces us to find strength within ourselves that we never knew we had. We get so desperate that we surrender. And in surrendering, I believe that's one of the most courageous things that one can do. Mm. So just curious as to your opinion, what makes desperation a gift? Thank you. Michelle, thanks for calling in. That was an amazing call. Yeah. You know, and I think you're right. I think ma- many people do view getting to a point of complete desperation as being a weakness and being something that is um, that makes us less than or that makes us, you know, feel like we um, are not. Um, not able-bodied and able-minded. Oh, when you're in the moment of feeling that desperation, definitely that's a lot of shame and a lot of um, just beating and batting yourself down, mm-hmm. you know, and that's part of what makes desperation desperation. But, yeah. what What's up, Alex? Oh, I think it's interesting you say that because for me, like, I mean... I, I mean, sure, I had my shame and my guilt and shitty feelings and whatnot. But, I mean, for me, like, I almost felt kind of the lift of almost kind of like a resolve. Like, I, I knew there had to, like, I I said, I said to myself so many times in my days of drinking and using that there has to be something better than this. But for the first time in a long time, when I found I, when I found that gift gift of desperation, I honestly felt um, as if, well, I mean, for the first time in a long time, I honestly felt like there was actually a better way than. Or like you really just finally said, "Yeah, this isn't working." You know, for me, it was yeah. for it felt horrible and um and a. 100% relieving at the same time, right? Like, it was not a fun feeling knowing that everything that I had tried, everything that I had done didn't work Let and led me to this really, really, really low place. Mm-hmm. But at the exact same time, it was an incredible relief. It was like the grief process where I'm numb and finally the tap opens and mm. I cry. Right. And it doesn't feel good to cry, but it does feel good to cry. Sure. And that's what the gift of desperation felt like for me. Mm-hmm. Like it didn't feel good and it felt good at the same time. And that that the that juxtaposition of emotions is really 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 um powerful yeah like when i <clears throat> i was talking earlier about kind of my moment you know and so when i called my first sponsor and 
he told me to write down this list of things, right? Well, the list kind of went like this. It was like, you're going to call me every day, whether I answer the phone or not. You're going to leave a voicemail then, but you, here's what you're going to tell me. Every day when you call my number, he was like, three things you're grateful for. I'm like, okay, check. One thing you're doing for your recovery today, check. He's like, say a prayer every day. That's on you. He's like, I can't check on it, but you know do it and I so I did that too and then he's like then you're gonna call and set up therapy he's like you're gonna call your job right now and tell him you're not coming in today because I was like supposed to be to work in an hour and here I am like in the midst of a like in the throes of a full-on meth-induced psychosis dude going on and it was so crazy because my that was a strange trip the scariest most terrifying trip for sure of my life probably and um I called my job and I told this guy you know, that I had been selling it and that I was, I told him everything. I'm like, that I've been shooting it and that I've been up for five days and, you know, all this and that. And he just was like, okay, well, I said I was going to get myself into some therapy and some treatment. And he was like, all right, well, give me a couple of days to think about this and call me back. And I didn't care if I was going to have the job or if I wasn't going to have the job. All I knew is that that was the first time I probably got really, really honest, you know, like actively honest with somebody who it mattered with, you know, who needed to hear that. Or, you know, one of them big secrets is the way we say it in the program, you know, is our secrets keep us sick. So I unloaded that. I unburdened myself of it. And boy, I felt that that weight you're mm-hmm. talking about. That relief didn't come for me until I opened up and and like set that down you know and oh and the floodgates kind of open oh i had an awesome ass day after that the psychosis Mm. went away Mm. i i mean i was still spun like all day but i finally got some good sleep that night and like i really that resolve didn't go away i wanted to get better i wanted to work it and do whatever it took to change but yeah it was weird it was yeah yeah. All right, we got Brenda coming up here. Hello, my name is Brenda. I'm from Richmond, Minnesota, USA. And I am calling about the topic. Um, thoughts on the gift of desperation. I think the gift of desperation helps lead you, or some people, to are on their path to recovery. It helps them to humble themselves enough to ask for help or seek the help that they need. I know when I was down and out and in desperation, I had lost my house and everything in it, and I was in a shelter, and then I crashed my truck, so I didn't have any transportation. Ended up moving into a hotel and walking to work all winter long and, well, maybe not all winter long, but yeah, when I decided or finally realized in my desperation that my life was way too out of control and something needed to change. So I guess bottom line is the gift of desperation leads to positive change if you let it thank you and have a wonderful day
through that. Brenda, thank, thank you, Brenda. you so much. You know, humility. She brought up humility. What a great uh, perspective. And so true in my case that the gift of desperation provided the requisite humility to realize that I didn't have any answers anymore. I was out of ideas. I was out of answers. I was I was out of them. <laughs> yeah. You know? I suck at this. Yeah, and so it provided the, the requisite humility for me to be able to start taking other people's suggestions and other people's ideas and 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 follow a different path, right? Yeah, I remember too, like you know, even like two weeks after that that initial time, you know, I'm still calling that dude. I'm still saying three things I'm grateful for, one thing I'm doing for my recovery, I'm still doing that every day. And I'm still feeling just like really kick ass about it when I'd hang up the phone. Like I wasn't for once because I used to get like this all the time. Like I wasn't butthurt that he wasn't answering the phone. Mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't mm-hmm. I wasn't like making it like something personal that he was like had something against me. Nothing. I just kept doing it. And then, you know, eventually we got to work together. You know, he finally answered the phone after three weeks and he was like, you're really serious this time, huh? And I'm like, hell yeah, bro, let's do it. And we started meeting and, you know, I was like a sponge, dude. Every meeting I went to, I was looking at every person as what can I learn from this person today? Not... I don't like his voice. I don't like her face. Mm-hmm. That dude mm-hmm. looks like he's full of shit. Mm-hmm. That guy looks like he's high. Right. You know, when you, when you do that stuff, you're closing your ears yeah. and your mind and your heart to a message that might save your ass. You know, you're shutting down half the room right there, making snap judgments, right? And that was the, that was the difference. You know, it was like, it totally changed my attitude. Walking in the rooms, sitting down and engaging in those conversations, my attitude was it was what do they call it in the big book like a complete psychic change that was like a a complete person a a personality change sufficient enough to be able to you know uh, rid ourselves of the obsession yeah and that was kind of like what the gift of desperation did for me so next week we're going to talk about service yes so Alex Jason give me your two you're on the spot thoughts about service and I think what an amazing topic right because service is at the core of my recovery and it was this it still is the centerpiece for me mm-hmm. for my recovery and continues to be the the most important action that one of the most important, not the, maybe not the single most important, but one of the most important actions I can take that improves the quality of my recovery. Alex, thoughts on service? Service is, well, I mean, it's what makes the great and wonderful world of recovery go round. I mean, aside from the people in it, I mean, you know, whether you're holding a position at a meeting, whether you're helping someone get to a meeting, whether you're helping someone in program who maybe just needs help. I mean, it's uh, one of the greatest ways to help others. And it's also a really great way to help yourself through um, times that are posing challenges. You know, when you feel like you're stuck in a funk, like, you know, like, you know, 
Service is a, a remedy for many, many difficult things that we go through in recovery. Absolutely. Absolutely. I always think about this line in the big book. And then we resolutely turn our attention to somebody that we can be of service toward. Yeah. yeah. No I mean, matter what. And I can apply that across all situations that I find myself if I resolutely turn myself to somebody that I can be of service in or out of the rooms of recovery, mm-hmm. my situation changes. Yeah. Right? Jason, thoughts on service? Well, I think that, you know, if we want to be given grace, you know, in the beginning, we want to be given forgiveness and we want those things and we can only get them if we give them. And when we work those steps and we start receiving them gifts and, you know, we feel that benefit, we want to be there for others, you know, having a heart for service is having a heart for people and it's it's learning to care about and take chance and trust and and care for others when all we did was care about ourselves before you know it's a it's a complete paradigm shift and it's it's really at the center of my my life right now is all really kind of in some way shape or form tied to that word service you know everything most importantly for me, I'm a terrible multitasker, mm. so I can't think about me and you at the same time. There you go. I like that. That's dying. I, I think that means that it's time for the episode to be done. Yeah. yeah. Sounds yeah. legit. But for sure, I cannot <laughs> be thinking about me and you at the same time. So if I'm thinking about you and being service of you, then I forget about me. And that is wonderful. It's the remedy. It is indeed. Gentlemen, thank you for another amazing podcast. We'll see everybody next week. Bye-bye. Peace. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out, where we share stories from people just like you who have recovered from alcoholism and other addictions. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. Or drop your host a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. There you can also find links to previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, and Podcast Garden. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the podcast, contact me at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change... Your sobriety day will. Intro, recovery revealed, and outro music courtesy of Ben Sound Music.